This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 364. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. We have some news to discuss today. We're going to celebrate an exciting weekend down in Texas. We're going to listen to some voicemails. We got some quizage, of course. And we're going to have a discussion on who is the most evil character in the Harry Potter series besides Voldemort. Well, I've been rereading the books. I've been thinking about, wow, there's a lot of butt faces in this series. But which one is actually the worst? Hmm. So we're each going to defend one person as being the worst besides Voldemort. So that'll be fun. And we're also joined this week by one of our listeners, Stephen. Hey, Stephen. Hello. How you doing? Where are you from? Tell us about yourself. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Currently live in San Diego, sunny San Diego, uh, part of the U.S. Navy. So it's happy to be in San. I'm happy to be in sunny San Diego. You're also being shipped off soon. Is that right? That's correct. July, my ship goes out for deployment. Probably won't get back until February or most likely March of wow, next that's year. Crazy. So it's well, thank you for your service and. We wanted to get you on before you head out, so we're glad we can make this work. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on. It's definitely been, you guys are definitely my first podcast back in 2005, shortly after book six came out, so it's kind of full circle, because I, <laughs> I listen to other podcasts now, but you guys are always the first. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks, man, and thanks for your support. We appreciate that. Let's get your fandom ID. When did you first discover the Harry Potter series? It's actually funny. It was... um. It was probably around um, October or so of 1999. I was in fourth grade. Whoa. Saying they started having, I say our, our school was having like, you could dress up as characters, saying from a book. And people, I remember seeing people dressing up as Harry Potter. I never read it. I started laughing at them because I was like, wow, this is so dumb. Why are you doing it? Why are you dressing up as a wizard? Then my brother started reading the books. Then my, and okay, my brother's reading it. He's 15 months older than I am. Okay, it must be good. But he started reading it in like November. He finished it, but my parents wouldn't let me read it though. They made me wait. They made me wait until Christmas. I got it for Christmas, and I've been hooked ever since 2000. Oh, that's awesome! Two people in the row in a row who've gotten it as a Christmas gift now. I had never heard of this. Mm-hmm. Remember our last guest also? Yeah, Christmas discovery. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. How, so, so what is your favorite Harry Potter book and movie? Um, book five is my favorite, especially because it's the longest one. It's the most Harry Potter you get. So I just love the, <laughs> I just love Potter. Get and, the most for your money. Yes. And probably the movie I really like, um, Deathly Hallows part two. It's the most action. It's a lot of fun. So that's probably my favorite movie. What are your Hogwarts and Ilvermorny houses? So I've done the, I've done the test twice. First time I did um, Gryffindor. Second time was Ravenclaw. So I consider myself a Gryffindor. Nice. And every morning I am a. Let me double check. Says I am Wampus. What is your Patronus? I'm a polecat. Okay. Good for you. <laughs> Which is that? The, some type of rodent or something. I have no idea. You know, it's funny. Speaking of the books, just a random aside. Um, I got my Harry Potter boxes brought out here by my parents a few weeks ago, like the ones that the books were shipped in, for, uh, you know, for the midnight release. And they say, do not open until, in Goblet of Fire's case, July 7th, 2000. 
Well, that darn box still had the receipt in it, too, <laughs> from my purchase of the book. Oh, and it's so funny because it says 7-7-2000. And then the time of the receipt is 00-10, meaning 10 minutes after midnight. So I kind of like that this has the time, too, because it reminds you that it's a midnight release. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to try to return it like you've done on the other some of your other books? Yeah, exa- Yeah, this receipt also says 10 days for a refund, one <laughs> month to exchange. <laughs> Now, back then, I wasn't thinking that way. I had unlimited parental money to use, so I didn't need to return things. Um, also, this bookstore is now long gone, so I cannot return it. <laughs> It'd be funny if I brought this receipt in 18 years later. So I want a refund. It's still valid, right? There's no limit, it's right? It's valid. Go into the shop that it is now. Definitely not Get a bookstore. Your book <laughs> yeah. Anyway, before we get to the news, there's some kind of real-world Wizarding World news happening. Um, The Quidditch World Cup is happening this weekend in Texas, and we were just doing a Slug Club member hangout on Google Hangouts before recording, and one of our listeners was actually about to attend it. Um, This is an annual thing. It's a a real-life Quidditch tournament. It's been happening for over 10 years now, and we just wanted to give them a shout out and good luck to all the players. And it made us think we should try to interview the team behind the Quidditch World Cup uh, to see how how it's going and how this came to be and like why people are so passionate. I mean, if you watch video from the Quidditch World Cup, any of them, just go on YouTube and search for Quidditch World Cup 2017, for example, you will see people really into the sport and it's a physical sport it's it's it can get brutal mm-hmm. it's like football yeah i'm 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 just looking at the teams listing of the of of the all the teams that are playing both uh today when we're recording and tomorrow and there's upwards of 50 teams closer to 80 they're all performing and there will be one i guess victor in the end so but good luck to all the teams this is just absolutely crazy it's got to be Pretty cool to be a Harry Potter fan down there watching, uh, you know, Muggle Quidditch be played down in uh, Round Rock, Texas. Hmm. Yeah. Andrew, I know, was it you and I who went in New York? I think it may have been the first year that they ever did it. I think you're right. Was Kevin with us as well? Yes, I was. Yes, yes, I was there. It was a great time. (laughs) No, but I actually remember going... A couple of years ago to uh, the Quidditch World Cup when it was held on Randall's Island here. Uh, it was a big uh, muggle net went out. I think there were actually t-shirts uh, from it. I don't remember what number World Cup it was, but it, it's amazing to see the teams that come from really all over the world. When, when they say Quidditch World Cup, they're not lying. Uh, a lot of teams come from all over uh, to participate. A lot of colleges now uh, particularly have um, Quidditch teams. Uh, So I remember when I was uh, there, there was a team from Syracuse. So I made sure to go over and and see how they were doing. But I feel like University of Texas has had a lot of success in that event. And there's probably a few others that I'm blanking on, but uh, I know ESPN has covered it uh, at least. Uh, (laughs) And and so it, it, it sounds crazy. Uh, and if you watch it, I think it looks even crazier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's definitely f- kind of found its footing, and it's not going away anytime. It's not just like a passing craze or a fad. This is this is something that um, I think a lot of uh, 
you know, students, especially who grew up with the series, you know, if you go to college and you have an opportunity to join a Quidditch team, I think that's that's pretty cool. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think it started back at at Mulberry College. Um, yeah, I had I did. A, a coworker um, when I worked uh, at the Arena Football League who actually went there, and so he was, you know, and, and knew at the time that I was um, doing this podcast, and so he had mentioned the fact that uh, you know he had a team or his school had a team, so and kind of kind of brought this all to life. So. It's interesting to see ten years later that it's kind of still going strong and and is very active. Yeah, one of the patr- one of the on the Facebook group, there's one someone from England. I remember like a couple weeks ago they posted a video on the groups on this page about being part of a documentary um, regarding Quidditch in England. I remember someone posting that. I'm like, that's so it's really awesome. I forget which member yeah. it was. That was Whitney, by the way, who was in our hangout earlier and told us she was attending the Quidditch World Cup. I'm just looking at the teams and 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 just in all the it's all colleges and from all over the country. It's so cool. I mean, they all travel to this. Yes. That's, that's that's nuts. Right. Yeah. Right. You got to think about the money that needs to be put together to travel. I mean, I don't know how many people right. are on a team. It's a lot of port keys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Syracuse has a team, the Syracuse Snare, that mm. they're they're playing uh, they're playing this weekend. So yeah. good luck, good luck to them, and good luck to all the teams. Micah, you could have been a commentator for this for the Syracuse team. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's. Uh... That's up next, you know. That's next career move. People have always said, like, you should do broadcasting. Why are you, you know? Yeah, I wonder that too. So, come uh, on, yeah, hey, do it in look. the Southern Haggard voice. And, and, yeah, that would be uh, <laughs> try and sell it right as uh, Southern Haggard and see see how far that goes. But oh, man. Um, yeah, no, right. I, I wasn't joking either earlier. If you probably can pull up clips from ESPN, but uh, this is a this is a well covered event, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that listen to the show that play Quidditch in college. Be interested to see, you know, how they get into it. You know, what kind of prompted them aside from just you know, because it, it's very physical. You were showing it's, a video during the. Uh, it's like rugby in a way. It's very similar to rugby. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if you're the snitch, you got. I mean, it seemed like you can pretty much, I'm sure there are rules, but it seemed like he could do or she could do pretty much whatever they want. Like they can run all over the place, which I guess is consistent with the the Potter series. But I mean, geez, like when we were, when I was there, I mean, you just saw them running all over the place. They were hiding in different places. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to really kind of get the snitch, you have to uh, put in a lot of hard work. This is the I would be the snitch. That's the only position I could play in this. Yeah, we were talking about that. I just w- running away. Don't hit me. I would not Don't touch me. Be, Don't touch but you me. have to be fast though, too. I mean, and you'd be yeah, exhausted probably. Fast. I mean, if you're a snitch, like you go into how, how does that even work? Like that's the real well, question. We got to look it up. All the details not only are in videos, but usquidditch.org is the website with okay. about history, leadership, press guy. Oh, it's actually a really well made website. It's I'm astounded at how efficient the menu is so um and for anyone wondering uh the snitch does dress in yellow or gold (laughs) they look like you know a snitch just much larger and hopefully anyway i was just gonna say earlier hopefully i said middlebury college not um mulberry college all right let's talk about some other news 
and good luck to everybody who is competing in the Quidditch World Cup this weekend. Um, we are not getting a Harry Potter Illustrated Edition. Let me try that again. We are not getting a Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Illustrated Edition this year. And more on that in a moment. But we are getting the Tales of Beetle the Bard Illustrated Edition. Hmm. This is going to be illustrated by Chris Riddell, who hasn't illustrated any of the books yet. It They revealed a first look earlier this week. It looks gorgeous. Just vibrant colors. Really interesting takes on the tales that J.K. Rowling wrote and that were first brought up in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Uh, the Wizard and the Hopping Pot, for example, it looks very, very whimsical. Kind of Beauty and the Beastie. Um, <laughs> all the kitchen utensils and pots and whatnot are all clearly alive. And there's a hopping pot on the ground with one large gold foot in it. And the wizard is looking at it like, oh, my God, what is going on? So it's a cool <laughs> book. Um it looks like a cool book so far. I I guess I'm going to buy it. Like, if I have Fantastic Beasts illustrated and Harry Potter 1, 2, and 3 illustrated, I guess I need Beetle the Bard illustrated. Well, I you know, and I know how you feel about Beetle the Bard, Andrew, but to hear that hear you say that you'll put money down on this is 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 a testament to how cool <laughs> yes. the art is. I'll consider it. I'll cons- clearly, clearly. I'll hold my receipt for 18 years and then ask for a refund. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, no. I'm definitely not buying it. I finally, I finally got the box set like last year for the first time. And like, like, well, I feel like a bad Harry Potter fan. I'm gonna have the box set for the for his school books, but I haven't even read the entire. I've seen, I've read, I skimmed it, but all that's back in Ohio now. So I definitely do not. Buy, it's really, it looks really it looks beautiful, but I don't see spending out money. Is I have all three of the illustrated dicks illustrated editions. So I'm excited for that, but I don't think I could spend another twenty, probably close to twenty bucks, or probably a charge for an illustrated edition for this one. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'll be curious what the size of this thing is too, because of course, Beetle the Bard is pretty small. So maybe they added yeah, a ton yeah. of illustrations to make up for the short length. Well, the most recent school books uh, collection that came with we were we were we actually did uh, a couple of Mogocasts about what was inside of them and things. I'm pretty sure. Because they added those beasts that were in Fantastic Beasts to the Fantastic Beasts version, and I'm pretty sure there were additional um, illustrations in all three books. But this is something altogether different. This is a lot more close to what they're doing with the the Jim K illustrated, you know, versions. But I have to say, I like the art. I actually really, as far as a person who likes Beetle the Bard, anyway, um, you know, this this art style is kind of really cool um, and different. And looks yeah. cool to me, so I will absolutely. And this uh, image of uh, the warlock's hairy heart is very, very terrifying. So I'm yeah. gonna do it. So that will be out this November, I think. I already closed the link. Just mm. given how much you enjoy the tales of Beetle the Bard, I'm surprised that you're going to be getting an illustrated copy. This is surprising to me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, well, I I do think it looks great, though. I think that yeah. uh, at least these sample illustrations are are really cool. I know there were some in the originals, right? Um, yeah. Yes. So this, I guess, is just taking it to 
another level, but uh Yeah. Well, and I think weren't those illustrations by J.K. Rowling? I'd be surprised if they weren't. Yeah, she kind of did that whole thing herself. She hand wrote like what seven was copies, it? seven copies, yeah. eight copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. It'll actually be out this October. So that'll replace the yearly Harry Potter illustrated edition that's been coming out. We've been getting one every year. We we adore these illustrated editions. They're beautiful new takes. Um, and this isn't exactly new news, but I had just discovered this the other day on Jim K's website. He actually he's the Harry Potter Illustrated Edition illustrator. Um, he made a blog post a few months ago saying he was starting Goblet of Fire, and he said that it's not going to be out until 2019. And I think we had discussed this before. Goblet of Fire is obviously a very long book, especially compared to Prisoner of Azkaban. So it's not a surprise that he's going to need no- more time. However, he kind of shared um, some of his thinking on on why it's great to have more time. He said, I'm really enjoying having more time on Goblet of Fire than previous books. So hopefully there will be more to see in the fourth Potter book when it hits the shops in 2019. And I'm having great fun planning it. I want to hide lots of Easter eggs in Goblet. A luxury usually be a luxury usually because it takes a lot of planning. Huh. Um, he also said that this longer window allows for some well-needed breathing room to really plan this and not rush the illustrations. Lots of images and ideas I plan don't make the books usually because of time, so I'm very pleased to have some extra time. This is actually kind of something we've noted about the illustrated editions, particularly number three. It seemed like there could have been more. And I guess you just naturally feel greedy for more when you're enjoying the illustrations that are in the book so much. But I feel like we talked about this before. They're not being enough. This time, it sounds like we're really going to get more in a per page ratio, so to speak, um, than previous books. So that's good news. Yeah, I, I am still waiting for the announcement that they'll be splitting the the book into two. And that's not in jest. I mean, logistically to carry these books they they are getting quite heavy. Uh, yeah, they you are. Know, Goblet of Fire alone will be twice, presumably, you know, twice the page count, so twice as many illustrations and everything. And these are huge coffee table style books. It would make sense for them to start dividing in half, if not by release date. You know, they could still release them together, but just in terms of the spine, so that you could you know save yourself some some physical strain. They're going to have to do that for Order of the Phoenix. Just look at the numbers wise with how big the book is. There's no that things will be like the Bible if they don't if they don't split it in two it's be opening up like a giant Bible in order to read Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's gonna all stay together as one book, Eric. Um, I think maybe they'll they'll try to put more text per page to kind of shrink it down a little bit. Maybe. Oh, I I disagree. I think it I think it'd be easy to. Have you seen they have like um like just a cardboard not cardboard but like well like a well made cardboard box that's like a sheath and then two bindings like two books equally sized bound that slide in gently you know to like the yeah. overall I think that's what they'll probably do for coffee table books I mean don't quote me but I think because Prisoner of Azkaban's like three hundred eleven pages and Goblet is more than double that so. I mean, we're looking at a very thick illustrated book and very heavy, and that's not going to go away. So I, I think it just makes sense for them to 
split it into again if not by release date like oh you know illustrated part one they don't need to do that like they did the movies but i think they should just be bound separately after you know 400 pages or so is probably the limit because those books are heavy i don't know well who's the audience children you know the books are heavy well you gotta get them in the strength training at some point right (laughs) so why not start why not start with the harry potter books yeah okay well, you mentioned strength training, which is pretty, which is pretty fitting because today's uh, show is sponsored in part by Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a wide variety of uh, super effective workouts that you can do from the comfort of your living room, twenty-four-seven. You can access Beachbody On Demand from anywhere, whether it be on your computer, web-enabled TV tablet, smartphone, Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast, and more. Workouts are as short as 10 minutes, and they don't require extra equipment. Maybe bring a little Harry Potter book, though, because you can lift those. <laughs> I, my, I myself am getting so much out of the three-week yoga retreat with trainers Vitus, Faith, Elise, and Ted. I start my day with 30 minutes of yoga, and it's drastically improved my mood and handle on my stress level for the rest of the day. I really want you to try Beachbody On Demand because you won't believe how easy, fun, and how many options for working out there are. Listeners of MuggleCast can get a special free trial membership just by texting MuggleCast, all one word, no spaces, to 303030. That's 303030. That gets you access to the entire platform of Beachbody On Demand for free. All the workouts, nutrition information, and support. So again, text MuggleCast to 303030. We thank Beachbody for their support of our show and for my stellar new outlook on life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been using Beachbody too as a it's, way to kind of yeah. sneak in a workout during the day when I don't have time to get over to the gym. It's perfect. You just I, I load up the Apple TV app and I get dancing for like a half hour. Yeah. Before you know it, I got my cardio workout. The trainers in. know what they're doing. They're all friendly and there's so many workouts to choose from daily. Like, yeah, you can go midway through. You do a ton of stuff. It's amazing. It's it's wonderful and cheaper than a gym. I might add absolutely as well. definitely yeah. on to some other news. Now, more book news. Believe it or not, Beetle the Bard wasn't the only first look we got. We got a look at the 20th anniversary Harry Potter covers. These are the U.S. editions actually quite striking they so these were illustrated by brian selznick actually a well-known illustrator and what he did were these gorgeous sketch-like black and white illustrations and when you put all seven covers together they form one large picture um of course each book kind of depicts a pivotal moment from the series, like the Prisoner of Azkaban one. We see Hermione holding the Time Turner, and we see Sirius Black, and we see a Patronus. Of course, the first book, we see Baby Harry. We see Harry with Hedwig. We see McGonagall. um, Order the Phoenix. We see Harry and Umbridge. (laughs) Book six, we see Dumbledore and Snape. Uh, book seven, we see we actually see Voldemort versus Harry. We see Voldemort in the top right. We see Ron and Hermione. There's a lot of stuff. I was very pleasantly surprised. I think these blow away any of the other American covers. Yeah. Besides Mary Grant, of course. Oh, I was gonna, oh, thank God. I was like, <laughs> I, I felt a wound open up in my heart. 
I I still feel as though the Kazu Kibuishis are my favorite non-Mary Grand Prix US covers. Huh. Still, with, with all of these uh, beautifully high-res images in sight, I'm looking at them um, right now, I am not the biggest fan of these covers. I think it's striking that the charcoal kind of black and white look, but to me that sort of denotes an unfinished image. You know, I don't know. They they leave them black and white. Feels a little unfinished to me. And oh well, they will be releasing the color editions in the thirtieth anniversary. <laughs> Is that a joke? Um, yeah, it's a joke. Oh yeah, and you know, honestly, this whole one major image when you put the books together was also done first by Kazu Kibuishi when the the spines um, come together. Yeah, but that show, wasn't cool. Well, I mean, if you put all these covers together, you have what like thirteen Harrys. Uh, four Dumbledores, eighteen Silverdoes. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's no point to it. It doesn't. The big image all together is kind of cool, and I'm trying not to be too critical. Um, but it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, there's sort of a thread of a a snake. Like it looks cool, but I, I in terms of what I'm going to go out to the store to buy, it's not this. It's very much not. You know, mm-hmm. this. Would I? I might buy a print of the covers all together. Because it looks kind of cool and neat and kind of surreal as kind of like a an MC Escher or something. But I'm not going to buy seven books I already own with these covers on them because the covers themselves do nothing for me. Hmm. What do you think, Micah? I just think it's a different take on the series. It's a different approach. And I'm not going to really be critical here. I think it's up to the artists or the illustrators interpretation and what they thought to be important in the series, right? Much like Mary Grand Prix or, or Kazu, you know, it's just, I I think some of them are actually pretty interesting, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, you get so much more of these characters kind of up close and personal as opposed to maybe what you would get on you know some of the other covers Mm -hmm. some of it's a little bit uh, i don't want to use the word amateur but like if you're looking at the deathly hallows cover and you see voldemort and harry kind of battling each other i'm not really sure what to make of voldemort there looks Mm. like um well yeah i i i get it it's just the, the this is also in concept a different like a big detraction from what Kazu attempted to do. Um, Mr. Kibuishi, you know, deliberately did not show Harry's face. Um, Harry's facing away in all of the book covers. And that's intentional because the reader is supposed to use their imagination to fill in the blanks of what Harry, Ron and Hermione and any of the characters all look like. These covers are the complete opposite where you're forced to look at, you know, this artist's interpretation of each of these characters. Right. Um, so this is a different philosophy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I do like the fact that all of the book covers side by side form, you know, this big image that you can kind of tell the story from left to right. But I I do like some of the depictions of, of these characters now. I mean, it, the other thing is, what Mary Grand Prix did and and I think Kazu Kabuishi, same thing. Like they're very vibrant, right? The colors are very 
you know, that this is kind of, it, it lends a different tone and a different feeling, uh, to the covers, kind of what you were saying earlier, Eric, it, it, you know, the titles pop and the author's name pops and scholastic pops. But outside of that, you know, what, what's being drawn here doesn't like it, Mm. it makes it, it gives it a little bit more of like a dark, older feel to it. If that makes sense, you're not, I, I don't know if I saw these books kind of just sitting on the, you know, the, the counter or, in, in a bookstore somewhere that you'd be immediately drawn to kind of want to go pick it up outside of the fact that it says Harry Potter on it. Yeah. Is that, you know, is that fair to say? I mean, would you be drawn immediately to pick something like this up with, with this kind of cover? Oh, uh, yes, because it's like, oh, wow, it's Harry Potter and it's a brand new cover. Right. Mm-hmm. But think that about was... like a first time person. Like right. if you're, if you're a new parent and, you know, you're thinking about reading this series to your kids, you're probably not going to be drawn to pick these up versus, let's say, the ones that were illustrated by Mary Grand Prix. By the way, I find it interesting that Harry actually isn't on the Prisoner of Azkaban cover. It's just Hermione and Sirius who feature on it. Oh, yeah. And the mentors. like the only... What? Is it serious? And the Dementors. The Dementors are on it. And the Dementors, That's right. The Dementors. Right. But no Harry. I guess not so important now that the series is a success. Steven, are you a big uh, collector of uh, different editions? And would you stop and pick these up in the store? Probably not. I have the illustrated books. I got the 20th anniversary from, um, I got it from um, Canada, Amazon, Amazon Canada. But uh, these ones. Probably not. Uh, I do need to replace. I'm planning on replacing my original set. So when I first got Halfwood Prince, no, or the Phoenix. The um, when the fifth one came out, I went down on vacation with my parents. We were going to the lake, so I was living. We were in a tent. Tent flooded. Of course, I was being because it literally just came out like a week or so before. So I literally was reading it and am I sleeping on a. Um, air mattress and had the book right next to me so it was that 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 entire copy's ruined i still have it but it's all is ruined so I, I plan on using the illustrated editions as my next set it's my i think that's fair yeah so like i would be more interested in these if they were going to be hardbacks but th- that's the other thing they're just going to be paperbacks so like i don't really need to collect the paperbacks but i'll definitely go check them out in person i'm sure they'll He'll look gorgeous in real life. You know what? We can rely on our buddy, the uh, Harry Potter collector. He's, yeah, we'll go see his. He's copies. like he's literally like a mile between our houses. <laughs> I hear he's already clearing some shelf space for uh, for these books. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, these will actually be out this summer, so not long of a wait now. And a box set will also be released um, later in the year, I believe, in September. So mm. I guess that'll have some new art on it as well. Yep. And sorry if you said this, is is this just paperback or is this hardcover or both? Just paperback. But if they release a big picture of all seven covers somehow, I would probably be interested in purchasing that and perhaps framing it. I could, I could go yeah. for something like that. I could do that as a print. I would I have no problem yeah. buying a print of that. Yeah. All right. Finally, congrats are in order to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway. They have broken a Broadway record. Whoa. 
in only its third week of previews, it is set a new record at the Broadway box office by a wide margin for the highest single week gross reported by a non-musical and Broadway history. They overshot the two million mark in the first full week of eight previews and easily topped the previous all-time record for a play, which was 1.6 million, grossed by the final week of Brian Cranston, the Breaking Bad Guys, all the way in 2014. Huh. So congrats to them. You know, we should mention on this show that we're going to be seeing that in 11 days. Cursed Child on Brian Broadway. Brian Cranston's all the way? Oh, oh, oh yes, that's right. <laughs> no, good for Brian Cranston for having a record with his the closing week. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that 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 must have been a great play. I'm sorry I missed it. Um, but Cursed Child on Broadway, we have our, our tickets are for Wednesday the 25th, you guys. And it's a, a matinee and evening performance of parts one and two. Yeah, that's awesome. Be seeing it together. I can't wait. I'm I'm allowing myself to re-become excited for uh, the Cursed Child strictly because everyone says in production it looks excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I assume they'll continue making two million dollars per week. It's it's not like the show won't be selling out every week. Yeah. So it'll continue to just you know hit that same record over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Micah, have you been to the Chris Child Theater yet? I have not. Why not? I'm waiting for both <laughs> oh, of you. Come well, to good answer. I'd like well, to go check it out. I know you went when you were here recently. Uh, it's true, I did. If, maybe if you would have texted or called, I would have come and met I, you. I was busy checking it out without <laughs> you, okay. so... Yeah. No, I figured I would be seeing you in a couple of weeks, so I don't need to see Micah twice in a month. I mean podcast with them so funnily enough and this is going to be a good test of the quality of the play i actually got invited to the cursed child days after eric our, our tickets um eric micah and i's tickets on behalf of hypable so i didn't want to say no to them so now i'm going to be seeing cursed child <laughs> twice in a week oh good, good for you hmm. when is it the day after or no like the saturday so I, I, that'll be a test in the I, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm taking my boyfriend who hasn't seen it yet. So that'll be fun as well. That, be the, that's what's going to the third really and fun. fourth time you've seen Chris Johnson. <laughs> no, I've only seen it once. I keep thinking I've already seen it twice. Oh, I think. Yeah, because didn't you go back with the hypable group in London for the non previews? That was the first and only time I went. Oh, OK. I yeah, yeah. I could have sworn you saw it without previews, but OK. No, no, no. All right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that'll be uh, that'll be. That'll be interesting. Yeah. All right. Moving on to our main discussion now. Like I said at the top of the show, I want to discuss who, besides Voldemort, is the most evil character in the Harry Potter series. So here's how this is going to work. Each of us is going to take one character and defend them. And then after the episode is released, we'll release a poll to see who argued their characters, their character best. So this will be a fun little game we're playing with the listeners. I'll start out, but I encourage y'all to ask questions, to challenge me. The character I selected as the most evil character in the series is Rita Skeeter. Amazing. I was I was actually wanting when I saw this topic, I'm like I was thinking Rita Skeeter, then I saw you got it on my card. Oh, good, <laughs> good. I'm I'm glad you agree. I find um, it so interesting that you picked a journalist, Andrew. 
as being the most evil character in the series. Yeah, well, that that kind of resonated with me. Um, So first of all, she has no moral compass. And in my opinion, that just makes her the definition of an evil person. Rita spends all of her time spreading fake news across the Wizarding World um, in order to make herself a edgy, breaking news type of journalist. And what's worse, she has no problem with targeting children. She made up the Harry Hermione romance. And then when Hermione once bravely confronted her, she wrote a fake story about a love triangle between Harry Crumb and Hermione. And then this in turn caused readers to write horrible letters to Hermione, who's a child. But the and qu- that's not to. Hmm? The real question is who's telling her to write it, though? It's who's putting the pressure on the editor, on Rita Skeeter, to write these articles? Mm. Yeah, but maybe she should put her foot down and say no. And and she and and Fudge or who did you say was telling her to do this? It's it's all. I'm gonna make this point of mine, but he's a propaganda machine. Fudge is. He's right. the one that's t- he's he's the person that is the head honcho. He's the one that's putting the pressure on the Daily Prophet. I, I love that you're working in like already your your character for for this this guy. I love that. <laughs> but really the, cool. the the problem is though is that she's always been this way and perhaps not always influenced by Fudge, but Fudge right. knew that she would be up for this. So and that that's not also to mention the time she wrote about Harry on the day of the third task. I thought that was particularly horrible. I mean, this poor guy, it's arguably the scariest day of his life. And now he has this stupid story to deal with in the paper. Right. And reading these developments in Goblet of Fire, I honestly felt disgusted by her. I was just angry reading it. And then, of course, making matters worse, she kind of laid the groundwork for the Ministry of Magic's Harry Potter smear campaign. Oh, that's very true. Her fake articles on Harry's mental health, his alleged need for attention. Oh, he's seeking attention. He needs it. He needs it. Cause Fudge to not take him seriously. And then this was one reason why the ministry refused to acknowledge that Voldemort was back. Because it was this kook Harry talking about him. Cods, cods wash. What's that word? Hogwash or cods wash? Hogwash. Pick thank one. you. <laughs> cods wash. Cods swallow. <laughs> Uh, so therefore, I mean, frankly, Rita was one of the, was one reason why Voldemort got as far as he did. Okay. So in conclusion, for being okay with attacking children, for writing false news articles and books about people, by the way, I didn't even mention things like the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore, uh, for paving the way for Voldemort's return, I believe Rita Skeeter is the worst, most evil person in the Harry Potter series. Thank you. <laughs> little polite claps that's what you do yeah. at the end of the d- debate you say thank you thank you thank you i that's a compelling argument i think you did pretty well there thank you all right uh are we are, am i up next yeah who who do you believe is the most evil character eric so outside of voldemort i will be arguing for bellatrix lestrange um and this is primarily because the Dark Lord didn't get to where he was uh, on his own, and he does not accomplish the things that he accomplishes on his own, right? He is a a whole team, a whole legion, really, of Death Eaters 
um, in particular, and you know other fantastical beasts and and horrifying creatures of the night. But in general, I look to the Death Eaters to explain why and how Voldemort is able to cause so much terror for wizards and witches around the world, and it is his Death Eaters. So as his most trusted supporter, Bellatrix Lestrange is naturally primarily at fault, or or at least I can say she is the most evil um, because she is the number one supporter of Voldemort. She would die for him, and it could be argued she does. Um, so I'm just going to run through some history of Miss Bella, and this is uh, this will also work to be her um, the nails in her coffin as far as what her her acts and what her crimes are. Um, during Voldemort's first reign of terror, he entrusted both Bellatrix and Lucius Malfoy with guarding one of his Horcruxes. So this is how this illustrates how close she is to the Dark Lord. Um, he trusts her with his Horcrux. So between her and Malfoy. They're really up there in his inner circle. Um, now, but once Voldemort falls, Lucius Malfoy, um, you know, lies and says that it was all a joke or that it was all he was hoodwinked and he didn't know what was happening and he was cursed. Lucius is able to go back to living the high society life that he's always valued. But Bellatrix, she does not sell out the Dark Lord. Oh, no. She goes and takes a couple other Death Eaters and tortures Frank and Alice Longbottom into madness, trying to find out how she can bring back her love, uh, Voldemort. So she very much goes off the deep end when the Dark Lord falls, rather than dismissing him, rather than just saying, well, that was fun while it lasted. She continues the, the goals and the missions set forth by Voldemort past his death. And essentially, you know, tortures Frank and Alice. This gets her chucked in in Azkaban, um, which is a life sentence. But then she escapes and just continues on this rampage of forwarding Voldemort's goals. Let me just give you the 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 death list of the people that she's killed. Okay, she's tortured Frank and Alice Longbottom. That we know. She, uh, of course, casts the spell that knocks Sirius Black into the veil in the Department of Mysteries. She. Um, <laughs> Also throws the knife that kills Dobby in Deathly Hallows. And um, believe it or not, I actually found this out through the Harry Potter lexicon. She's the one that kills Tonks as well in the Battle of Hogwarts. And she would kill Ginny as well if it weren't for, uh, I guess, a, a missed spell. And then Molly ends up being her end. But she is directly responsible for killing more characters that we care about. Uh, in Harry Potter than any other character. Rita Skeeter never killed anybody. So I would say by comparison, Bellatrix Lestrange is the most evil character. Thank you. Hmm. Okay. Well, that was well-reasoned. She certainly enabled Voldemort throughout the entire series, which was not okay. And if, and if you, if you believe Cursed Child is canon, she also had his kid, her, his daughter. Right. Does that make her more evil, though? Hmm. Well, I guess I, so. Let's, more disturbing. Yeah, speaking to her <laughs> character, I the first thing that I was re- reminded of when I thought of taking on Bellatrix as this um, discussion is in the beginning of Half-Blood Prince, she, in the Spinner's End chapter, when she's arguing with Narcissa about Snape, there's actually, I would encourage all of our listeners to reread Spinner's End because it's really amazing insight into Bellatrix's character and also Narcissa and Snape's. Snape essentially has to defend himself, prove his loyalty, all that stuff we know. But Bellatrix 
openly says to Narcissa, she's coming to Snape for for advice. Like uh, Draco, my only son, is being you know held up, and 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 he's being given this mission that's going to result in his death. Bellatrix openly says, "I, if I had sons, I would gladly sacrifice. I would gladly allow the Dark Lord to use them to do whatever he wants." Like Bellatrix is so loyal to him. Uh, to to Voldemort that she's forsaking her own sister and picking the side of the Dark Lord, even though the Dark Lord is very clearly only you know giving Draco that mission to torture him. So she is one hundred percent all in on Voldemort. And furthermore, J.K. Rowling herself did finally confirm that Bellatrix was in love with Voldemort, and she confirmed that on a rival podcast of ours when they interviewed her. Hmm. Pottercast. All right, who's next? I'm next with Umbridge. Ooh. Do I need to say anything else? I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Yeah, so uh, I actually did a little bit of research on her information that came through Pottermore. Uh, But first, I'd like to start out just by saying that Stephen King, renowned horror author, described Dolores Umbridge, big fan of the Potter series, by the way, described her as the greatest make-believe villain to come along since Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so a uh, very uh, high praise, I guess, depending on how you want to uh, look at that um, coming from somebody like Stephen King. Uh, one of the first things that I thought about with Dolores Umbridge is just that, you know, she is, has this unyielding loyalty to the ministry and, you know, she serves um, under Fudge, then she serves under Scrimgeour, then she serves under Pious Thickness, right? Uh, and no matter what, I mean, we would say probably the the most unyielding and un, 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 and blinding loyalty to uh, was to Fudge uh, went during her time that she served uh, at Hogwarts. Uh, but I think if you take it a little bit further back and you see exactly the type of person uh, that she was early on in her life. Um, it said under her father's influence, she despised her muggle mother. So she's a half blood mm. and her brother who happened to be a squib. Uh, she considered them to be inferior to her and her father. Um, and so her father, you know, th- th- along with Dolores, they completely denounced their mom and their brother. So mm. this, this gives a little bit of context of the type of person that we're dealing with. Um, and, and so much so this, this, this hatred existed that her mom and her brother returned to the muggle world, never to be heard from again. And this is right around the the age where Dolores is kind of coming into her own, right? We know she was sorted into Slytherin. Um, she was at Hogwarts under Slughorn, but never really got along with him. And Slughorn particularly despises her. Um, but now if, if we bring it more kind of to present day, how do you like somebody who was the only person that we know of battle of Hogwarts aside to leave a lasting scar intentionally on Harry Mm. Voldemort's was not intentional on bridges was she physically tortures students, you know, in, 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 in a place that's supposed to be magical and happy and everybody's going and learning about, you know, transfiguration and potions. And, and you think about that, right. You know, on Harry's hand, 
uh, that will be there for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, she seems to have a, a, a bit of pure blood mania about her. Uh, we see it in the trials in Deathly Hallows, even though she herself is only half blood. Right. Um, you know, we think back to that magic is might statue. She's extremely arrogant and she derives pleasure from all of this stuff. Uh, you know, she, she seemingly is just a nasty piece of work. And there's no instance like, Eric, what you were saying with Bellatrix, where we know that she's killed somebody, but I don't think that she would care one way or the other uh, about some of these people, you know, being offed, whether, you know, think about going into her desk at the Ministry of Magic, right? All the different files that, um, the, the was it Hermione comes across and she see, or or Harry, I forget, but, you know, Dumbledore with a big X through him at the time. And, and so I just think this is a nasty, nasty human being. Um, who starts out very slow in the series in terms of how she influences, um, you know, certain events, uh, whether it's interrupting Dumbledore during the opening feast, her, you know, just complete takedown of Trelawney, um, right. you know, kicking her to the curb. Uh, and then it just builds, you know, with the centaurs and, and you know, calling them near human creatures, um, or you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it's just... I, I just think she's she's somebody who may not necessarily, you know, physically take somebody on, but through all of the the work that she's doing behind the curtain or or through the ministry, you know, she's just she's just as dangerous, if not more so, than a lot of the others that are out there fighting uh, fighting these battles. Yeah, uh, and I I don't think she's above killing somebody either. I think she would. Yeah. And and then there is a question. I mean, I love how you made it personal, Micah, by like, Harry will have that scar forever. Like, you know, like what she did to those students throughout that year of terror and the kind of environment of government and reality, like the wizarding world that she fostered is one of oppression. And we see that in book seven. So like, yeah, is. that is, it's different than killing, but it's not necessarily better or worse. And it's Fudge's fault for putting her in the position in the first place. (laughs) You're really really working through Yeah, well, I want to talk about Fudge. I will say the two big things that Umbridge did that Micah did not mention, though, like the two most unforgivable things in my mind are both using Mad-Eye Moody's eye. Uh, She, like, put it on her door, right, in her office. Like, oh, here's a a trinket that is, like, just – like, no respect for the dead, right? Um, and then, but, but she sent the Dementors to, uh, Privet Drive and that was without Fudge's knowledge and without Fudge's approval. She went out of her way to further her own personal cause by sending Dementors to Privet Drive and Dudley or others could have been killed. Um, so that, that to me is, is also a mark against her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I mean, you could, you could literally go through her bio to see sort of her, her, upward trajectory at the ministry and, and it, it, it's puzzling, you know, as you, know, you just mentioned, maybe it's uh, Fudge's fault for her being able to kind of move up in the ranks. But, you know, so, some of the other things just very, very quickly, um, you know, it mentions here that she drafted a piece of anti-werewolf legislation in 1993, which prevented people with lycanthropy to have a full-time job. So, um, definitely impacted Remus Lupin. And, and even, you know, her father, who was a wizard, 
um, worked in the ministry and, um, you know, but he wasn't able to have that level of prestige, uh, similar to what, you know, she was experiencing. I think he was actually like a custodian or a janitor and, you know, basically she pushed him out, um, and, and, you know, doesn't even speak of him to, other people when, you know, they would come up to her and ask her, oh, are you related to that other umbrage who, uh, wow. you know, used to uh, clean the floors here? And she would just kind of give her little laugh. And, 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 and I think that's the other piece of it too, right? Like Amelda Staunton just does an amazing job of portraying umbrage in the series. You're just, you, you love to hate. The sickly kind of sweet. Character. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a great point you brought up, Eric, about the the Dementors as well as as Mad Eye. Hmm. All right, and finally, Stephen, who are you defending? I think we heard earlier. I'm doing fudge. So I know J.K. JK Rowling likes to. I'm going. I'm going to World War II references as well because that's J.K. Rowling has kind of mentioned in the past. She kind of based them off of uh, Chamberlain, Ooh. former Prime Minister of um, England, that appeased. Uh, um, Hitler, I would say he. I would say with the way his propaganda machine is, I would say Fudge has a more of a um, Goebbels effect, as since Goebbels was Hitler's right hand guy uh, with propaganda. Mm. I would say he's more of a Goebbels. He's one that directed. He is the one that orchestrated or told the Daily Prophet, "This is the this is the agenda we're doing. Do it." He gave he. He, he more like he pointed the gun and he Rita Skeeter was just a bullet to exercise the job of turning the population against Harry and Dumbledore. He's the one that directed the smear campaign against them because he's scared. But he was still smart enough to orchestrate it. He was a coward, but he still knew how to do it. He he put um, he put um, umbrage in power as he knew she would be a yes man to him and do whatever he said. So he, and he did, he pretty much did everything he could to stay in power, just like how Voldemort was doing, but he didn't have any horror cruxes. Huh? I, I like this. I like this idea that he's collecting and gathering followers and putting them in positions of power, just like Voldemort is. I like that a lot. And let's not, mince words like i think the uh the state of the world that that fudge causes through at first through ignorance and then through um his uh stubbornness is very real people really do die and get hurt and suffer and die in fudge's wizarding world or as a result of his action and inaction so how can we quantify how many people die because of you know cornelius fudge all the ignorance and just wanting to hold to power. He could have been prepping the people to say, get prepared, get ready. It's happening. And said, nope, I still want control. Nothing's it's fake news. All you hear is fake. Don't worry about it. I'm, 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 I'm in a control. Clearly not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the years and years in which he would say nothing's wrong, everything's fine. You know, letting people keep their guards down was a direct uh influencer of of the harm of what came later and not to mention all the muggles as well because when he went when he kept meeting with the other prime minister he was just telling hey it's okay don't worry about it something's happened oh yeah saying okay we had some escapes in azkaban don't worry i got it under control 
it's don't worry, don't don't it's okay, it's, don't, don't alert the muggles. Oh, they go dispis, um, disappearing. Okay, here's the mentors. Uh, so attacks are happening. Don't worry, I got this under control. He allowed it. There's incompetence, Just, but then there's negligence. Yes. Okay. Huh. Yeah, we spoke about him at length a couple months ago. I thought we had a really good discussion on him and the ministry and yeah, just how irresponsible he was as a as a, a leader. But what makes evil? And this will be on our listeners to decide. Yes, so we'll do a poll. Um, I think I'm not going to win oh. because I'm looking through the comments now we ask people on patreon to sound off on who they believe and it seems far and away um this is before our debate here but the the far and away people said umbridge and i will read some of those comments in a in in a moment we got some suggestions that we didn't even touch on so those will be interesting to read Um, but first our second sponsor for this week's episode is audible they are the leading provider of audiobooks and other spoken word entertainment We've been talking about them for years. I love using Audible. As a longtime podcaster, I and I think the other guys, we certainly know how great it is to be able to take a story on the road with you. You Take MuggleCast on the road. You can take a book on the road, too. The great thing about Audible is that you can take a book wherever you are. And it helps you read more. Because you can be reading while taking care of chores, driving, walking the dog, hanging out around town, anywhere you are. Audible can be as well. Maybe you've been looking to dive into the Harry Potter series again, or maybe you want to read one of the latest and greatest books that everybody's talking about, like maybe Ready Player One or Wrinkle in Time, both popular book-to-film adaptations. Audible's got them, and they've got everything. You can listen to these or any, any book, really, wherever you are. Here's how it works. Membership includes one free audiobook per month, exclusive sales, and 30% off all regularly priced audiobooks. And then in terms of listening, you get an app. There's a free app for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. And even if you switch devices, your book will still be synced up. So you can maybe listen on one device, pause, and then on another device, you can continue reading, and it'll be exactly where you left off on the other device. And by the way, unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. By the way, don't like a book? You can swap it out with their great listen guarantee. So maybe you start reading Harry Potter. And you're like, eh, I don't really like this series. You can swap it and get a different series. I'm just kidding. Nobody would swap Harry Potter. But you can swap <laughs> a book you don't like. Maybe you don't like the narrator. That's okay. Swap it out. You'll get another one. This is a great service. We want you to try it. Go to audible.com slash mugglecast or text MuggleCast to 500-500 to get started. You'll be able to try Audible for free. Get an audible.com slash MuggleCast or text MuggleCast to 500-500. All right, let's get to some of the feedback we received. This was our Patreon question of the week over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Like I said, most people said Umbridge. Tana said, Umbridge hands down, the woman tortured kids because they disagreed with her, and the government sounds a bit totalitarian, doesn't it? Jordan says, no contest to Umbridge. She derives glee from punishing children so that they bleed and scar on their hands. Her hatred of Muggleborns later on in the series also far surpassed those of Voldemort or Pureblood. 
Their hated their hatred stems from sort of reason, however wrong or contrived that is. But Umbridge is just a hateful, spiteful, prejudiced, half-blood, thirsty for control and power. Jessica says either Bellatrix or Umbridge because they both genuinely enjoy the misery of others and actively seek it out. Andy Iskander hands down Bellatrix for what she did to Neville's parents for killing Sirius and almost Ginny. Hashtag Molly Weasley FTW. Um, yeah, I pasted some others into the doc just now. Oh, cool, Mikey, cool. you want to read a couple of these? Sure. Uh, starting with Courtney. Yeah. All right. Uh, Courtney said, why is no one saying Bellatrix? Is she too obvious? She's the most sadistic character ever, even more so than Voldemort. She shows no remorse and throughout the series attempts on multiple occasions to murder kids. Umbridge is definitely evil, but her actions are not tantamount to those of Bellatrix. Here's yeah. one out of right field. Kenzie says, Dumbledore. He left Harry with an abusive family. No excuse for that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, that family protected him from darker forces, but. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Stephanie Norton. My original thought was Umbridge, but I'm going to have to go with Lockhart. <laughs> <laughs> he knows exactly what he's doing when he takes credit for others' work for his own personal gain. Does he realize that how many lives he has ruined and he was about to do it to children? It's interesting. One other thing, though, going back to what Courtney said about Bellatrix and Umbridge, um, her actions not being tantamount to those of, of Bellatrix. I was also remembering with everything she was doing with the uh, the Muggleborn Registration Commission and the trials. I mean, she was sentencing people to be, you know, get a Dementor's kiss. Like, so while she may not be the one directly killing somebody like Bellatrix would do, she's perpetuating a lot of this stuff. And and you know, through those trials, who knows how many people, um, you know, had to suffer. Just something that came to mind. Virtuous Steve, guys, you can ignore the besides Voldemort part, and it's still Umbridge. Voldemort and Bellatrix think they're making the world a better place, but she's in it just for herself. Classic kiss up, kick down type. Everybody knows one. Yep. Uh, Julia Paradis. Fenrir Greyback. He enjoyed turning people into werewolves for fun, including Lupin. All of his lines in Potter drip evil from every word. Such a brutal character. Leave Bill Weasley and Lavender Brown alone, you evil monster. <laughs> uh, Patrick Sullivan says, don't know if this is cheating, but Salazar Slytherin. He set basically all of this into motion with his blood purity mania, the bastard. Um, I don't think that's fair, and I'm going to go on a record defending Slytherins here, or defending Slytherin. He did not start blood purity mania, okay? He was certainly a purporter of it, but he did not start it. And uh, I think that Slytherins have uh, some redeeming qualities and aren't all evil. So there we go. Yeah, but I'm I'm a believer in in uh, blaming some of the earliest people. Oh, that I agree. Like establishing trends and that sort of thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Meyer says Cornelius Fudge's inaction causes a lot of destructive consequences. His arrogance and poor leadership cost the Wizarding World lives. His refusal to accept the coming war teaches us the dangers of misinformation, censorship, and biased media. True that. 
Glenn Stein. Barty Crouch Jr. is the Death Eater most responsible for Voldemort's return. The Dark Lord referred to him as his most faithful servant. His evil deeds include torturing the Longbottoms into insanity, set off the Dark Mark at the Quidditch World Cup, imprisoned and impersonated Alistair Moody for a school for a full school year. I would say that Bellatrix is equally guilty of torturing the Longbottoms and has killed far more people than Barty Crouch ever did. <laughs> um, so I'm going to disagree with that. I'm surprised we don't get... Oh, wait, the very next one. Nada, or Netta, says, I think it can be argued that Peter Pettigrew is a contender. Voldemort, Umbridge, Bellatrix, they were literally just mentally unstable and thought what they were doing was right. Pettigrew grew up normal, surrounded by Gryffindors, and still had no problem betraying his best friends, knowing they would die so he could get a little power. It's despicable. I did consider Pettigrew as an option for arguing today. And then uh, finally, Vera said, I think Petunia and Vernon Dursley are the evilest characters and not because of any magical abilities, but because they treated an innocent child with abuse and bullying, allowed him to be bullied and abused by others, whether it be Aunt Marge, her dog, or Dudley. They starved him nearly to death and they treated him with no affection, love, or kindness. Yeah, pretty horrible. Um, now, of course, this this served the story, but I think in real world terms, uh, hopefully somebody would come in and save him from this right. or he'd be able to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we hear these stories about parents in the real world holding these children captive, and then finally it's the kids who have to escape in order to be saved. And yeah, it's right. terrible stories. I think in looking at all of these, though, it, it clearly depends on what your definition of evil is, right? Because um, yeah. I, I think there's a lot it of is evil. There's a lot of different ways that evil can be interpreted. You know, all of these characters are, are reflective of of evil in a different way, right? So, I think it just depends what what do you kind of see as being or what qualifies as, as pure evil? Like what, what, what do you not prioritize, but I guess that, you know, yeah, they're all, they're all dangerous and, and, you know, in their own way. Yes. I think maybe the, for me, it's who, who just hurts people the most. That'd be Bellatrix. I know. As I said that, I was like, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> Who um, grinded my gears most? For me, it was Rita Skeeter. Yeah. No, I taking I, advantage of children I for a story. I think it's bold for you to take on Skeeter, and I think that you're probably exactly right. Like setting the, the getting in people's heads, and you know, the press is able to create a perception of reality that bypasses logic and proven, you know, tactics. So I, I definitely think there's something to that. All right. Well, we're going to create a poll and we will link to it on the website uh, so you can vote to decide who is the most evil character amongst the four that we argued today. Let's listen to some voicemails now. Hi, Cast. My name is Sydney. I'm calling from Maine. Um, I was just listening to your most recent episode where you're talking about Dumbledore and his motivations for doing things and if he made an unbreakable vow or not. Um, but I think from my standpoint or my theory is that it has to be Newt doing whatever he has to do in this upcoming film because 
he's Theseus's brother. I think somehow Theseus gets entangled or somehow um, needs to be saved from the influences of Grindelwald, and it has to be new because of his relationship with Theseus. And as we have discovered credence from the trailer and that family tree that we have all dissected together. Anyway, that's my theory. Thanks for listening. Um, I haven't been listening for very long with you guys, about only five months or so, but I'm really excited to have discovered your podcast so that we can all get super excited for the new Fantastic Beast movie. Anyway, have a great day, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Ooh, new movie this year. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an interesting theory. Maybe it, it you know, the it has to be Uline doesn't necessarily have to do with the Grindelwald relation directly, maybe his brother's involved somehow as well. Yeah. You have to convince your brother. It's terrifying to consider Lita and Theseus, who we know of but have not yet met, could be working for Grindelwald. Yeah. I just hope, um, I, seeing I'm, since I'm going to be in deployment during that time, I just hope we hit a port that has, <laughs> that, that has the movie out at that time, hopefully English subtitles. If not... I won't be able to see the movie until March, most likely. Oh, no. gosh. We'll, we'll send you a tape. You can, yeah, we'll you figure out. You can we'll f- a VHS player. We'll <laughs> send us something. We'll see what yeah. we can do. Yeah. Here's our next voicemail. This concerns Wand Allegiance. Hi, MuggleCast. This is Andy from Essex, Mass. I was just listening to your last episode, and you said that Tina Goldstein is now the controller of the Elder Wand because she disarmed Grindelwald. Now that got me thinking that every time you disarm somebody, do you then become the master of their wand? So a bunch of kids at Hogwarts who disarm each other are now running around (laughs) with wands that don't belong to them, that they're not the master of. We see many times in the series of people being disarmed and given their wands back. And I'm wondering if that makes them the master again, or if there has to be some intent behind the disarming, i.e. not in school, not in a duel. It's just in a practical application as they're trying to learn. Do you have to be disarmed in a duel to be the master of that person's wand? Just wondering what you guys thought and how different ways that people are disarmed affects the master of the wand thanks bye so from what i've gathered i've been looking into this a little bit after reading or getting this voicemail um you can take control of somebody else's wand it doesn't necessarily have to be in a duel per se uh but if you do get control of the wand the wand will allow you to use it it just might not work perfectly even if you win it in a duel Right. Um, the the real answer to this question is whatever J.K. Rowling wants. Um, but I think that it's because it's it's come up different times throughout the story, but it only becomes relevant when dealing with the Elder Wand um, right. or in Deathly Hallows when Harry is using the wand of different Death Eaters that aren't or that are or aren't cooperating very well for him. Um, it, it It comes up in these life or death sort of scenarios of the wand allegiance being a big deal for the most part you're it, it, like it it only comes up when you're dealing with somebody wants to kill somebody else 
and is it going to work well for them or will the wand itself kind of rebel? Most people don't believe that wands have their own um, allegiance or their own sentience. In fact, Ollivander is one of the very few people and he's thought of as crazy for it, um, for treating wands as like individuals kind of in a way. Um, so it's, it's, we're on the, we're on the vanguard of the, the industry of explaining it. And I think that fortunately, because JK Rowling has put the elder wand back into these movies that will get more clarity, I think in the years to come, but I don't think it currently exists in the book. Yeah. And like Andy was asking, do wands just move around all the time because people can easily take them? Well, yes, but I think getting back to the point about it working well, that's probably why people don't try to take each other's wands so often because if the wand chooses the wizard, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then they just want the best wand that'll work for them. They don't want one that might go against them. Yeah. So no point really in taking one unless that's it's the other one. That's actually course. a good point. Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Amanda Gagnon, and I just heard episode 363, and I have a few ideas in reaction to the questions you guys were talking about. Um, the first being the question of why Voldemort ended up having a child, Delphi, um, because it didn't seem to fit his MO. He wasn't really seeking immortality through, you know, having progeny, as you guys mentioned. Um, and my guess is I bet Bellatrix tricked him kind of in the way that his dad was tricked by his mom in order to get more of his attention, kind of feel like maybe she had more of a hold on him since she always wanted so much of his attention. I don't know how she would have fooled him, but, you know, she's she's pretty conniving. And that might explain, you know, part of why Delphi is kind of so heartless, uh, willing to kind of, you know, do anything to meet her own um, her own goals there. And then my second idea was based on Patrick's fan theory about uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald having made a, an unbreakable vow. Um, and that's why Dumbledore couldn't really go after Grindelwald himself and he sent Newt. Um, I'm wondering if that has something to do with Harry as well. And we all get upset at how heartless Grindelwald uh Dumbledore was um, at kind of having Harry do his dirty work, maybe the vow he made with Grindelwald had something to do with not, with like always protecting wizard kind against muggles, things like that, because he was kind of believing in that at the time. And maybe that prevented him from going after Voldemort himself later and having to use Harry. Mm. All right. So those are my ideas. Um Love to hear what you think of them, but in any case, um, thank you for MuggleCast. I love it. All right, take care. Uh, that second bit of that is very uh, concerning. Actually, both of those are both of those theories are concerning. Um, I think there's weight to it. Um, the first part about Bellatrix hoodwinking Voldemort, I'd like to think that that's not the case. Um. But I, I mean, I don't like the idea that they even had a kid, but now we're forced to deal with it. Thanks, Chris Child. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to believe that if they did have a kid, it was because they both got together. I don't think Voldemort would get together with her, but I'd mm-hmm. like to. I don't think that she tricked. I wouldn't put it past her. I'm just that's a big question mark. I don't I just don't know. Well, maybe she talked him into it in some way. Yeah. Um, don't but, you want to continue your lineage. I mean, in a way, having a child is like a ninth Horcrux, sort of. That's true. Well, yeah. She's, he's continuing the, the family line. Um, 
But regarding the the Unbreakable Vow, I mean, if that's true, then that would be then these Fantastic Beasts films would be like the biggest Dumbledore apologia, like the character of Dumbledore getting, you know, continually we're shedding more more and more light onto how he behaved with Harry and we'd ultimately forgive him for it. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if, if that is revealed to be the contents of the vow. Really? You'd say forgive him? Do you think, Micah, that, you know, if he made a vow that says that he can't interfere, that we would think less harshly of him for not telling Harry everything at ultimate, you know, every time and and really only being able to prepare Harry to die after he himself had died? I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, in general, right? It's like if there were extenuating circumstances, why Dumbledore kind of had to raise Harry like a pig for slaughter if it forced his hand lest he himself be killed. And of course, Dumbledore has the arrogance of all of us where we don't want to die. Um, you know, that or the the ego that we don't want to die ourselves. Can you blame him? It's, I just think uh, we try to draw too many parallels to Potter. And I know that's our only point of reference right now, just because sure. his character transcends both series. But I think even though we will learn a lot of, of how these stories start to tie together, it may still be a little bit too early to kind of make those connections. Yeah. Yeah. They have teased that it ties into the Harry Potter series in in certain ways. So Nagini. that's why I don't want to completely rule out this theory. Because f- w- while we've been doing a lot of guessing, and I feel like some of it probably has to be right, I'm really hoping for some big bombshell surprises. And that could be one of them. This would be one of them, yeah. I guess not anymore, now that Amanda has spoiled it for us. <laughs> uh, we'll have to come back to Amanda if it's proven to be right and be like, never on the show. Yeah. Keep the secrets. <laughs> it's time now for Quizitch. Quizitch, yay. Okay, so um, those of you know, this is our weekly segment where we ask a question about anything in the wizarding world and you submit your answers to us on Twitter. So last I love s- seeing the answers on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, it's kind it of reminds me that people are listening. That's cool. Yeah, it's been a it's been a cool format for us, and it's also very easy to search, easier than it would be to do emails. So last week's question was for Harry's seventeenth birthday, what color did Hermione turn the leaves of the Weasley's uh crabapple tree or crabapple, however you say that? Um, and we heard from Haley Betts who said, I'm like 92% sure it's gold, but also like, don't quote me. Sorry, Haley, I just quoted you uh, because you were the first person to get the correct answer. Yes, it was gold. Also, Justin Knoll, Stephanie, uh, Jennifer St. George, Tommy Barilli, Lauren Aragon, Sean Brady, who's had a, who's on a streak, actually, as well as uh, Weensy, Jess Hardy, Shelby DeWeese, Mandy, Hannah, Richard, and Jitterby all had the correct answer. Congratulations to everyone. The answer was, in fact, gold. Uh, Hermione turns the leaves of the Krabappel tree gold. Also, please somebody tell me whether it's Krabappel or Crabapple because it's all one word and it's killing me. Um, that's this week's Quizits question, actually. Thank you very much. How to say Krabappel. 
Um, crab apple sounds better, but crab apple is really funny. So I say you stick with crab apple. Crab apple. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the teacher in The Simpsons, right? Mrs. Crabapple. Oh, is it? Yeah, nope. I think it is. Yep. Um, but anyway, no, this week's real question. I've actually gone back to book one for this, uh, or not book one, um, actually the Apocrypha. What is Professor Quirrell's first name? And Professor submi- Quirrell's first name. What is Professor Quirrell's first name? And uh, you can answer via Twitter, just at MuggleCast, and give us the correct answer and say it's, you know, my Quizich answer is this. And uh, we will announce your names as winners on the next week's episode of MuggleCast. If you'd like to have your voicemail played on the show, call us. one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. You can leave a voicemail with a question, a comment, a reaction, whatever you want. We do listen to them all. We can't play them all, but we do listen to them all. Uh, thank you to everybody who calls in, and thanks to everybody who emails as well. We get some really nice stuff, so we greatly appreciate uh, the things that you send us. Some of them even make me smile and go, aww. You can also email us at mugglecast at gmail.com. And then our website has a contact form as well if you'd prefer to do it that way. Our, Muggle, our, our MuggleCast website really has everything you need about the show, including how to follow us and how to like us on Facebook. And don't forget our Patreon. The mug window is now closed, but by signing up, you'll be getting a lot of stuff, including bonus installments of MuggleCast, like our live stream after The Cursed Child when we see it together on Broadway in just over a week now. It's getting close. You also get ad-free editions of MuggleCast, access to our exclusive Facebook group, can join in on the live streams. You might even one day be able to co-host MuggleCast like Steven is today. That's all at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Steven, hope you had a good time. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's really happy to be here. Awesome. Best of luck to you overseas. Thanks again for your service. You've had your camera on this whole time. We see you kind of relaxing on the couch now. It's exhausting podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been a it's been a rough morning. I think I was still a little bit uh, still, Yes, yes, I was still a little drunk this morning when I woke up. <laughs> you couldn't tell, buddy. Uh, you put in a good fight on that uh, main discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. Uh, yeah, and visit MuggleCast.com for the poll as well this week. We can't wait to hear what people think about who they think is the most evil character in the Harry Potter series. I have an idea of who's going to win. But we'll discuss that next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Steven. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.